Welcome to the Evolving Media Podcast, where we talk about the changing world of media. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, share, or recommend this podcast. It'll help us do more of these so everyone wins. Thank you. Today we'll talk about the field of the media industry most of us come in some sort of contact with on a daily basis. Journalism. There are a lot of challenges facing journalists today. Financial challenges, challenges from new and unexpected competitors, the challenge of an ever more elusive audience, and the challenge to disprove the fake news checkmark over and over again. Joining me to talk about these challenges, the possibilities and a lot more is Gerald Holubovic. Is the digital product manager at the French Liberation newspaper. He keeps tabs on all things journalism and digital over at the journalism.design site and is doing in-depth research into the world of deep fakes. Join us for a look at where journalism is today and where it might be heading. Welcome. Gerald, thank you very much for joining me for this podcast. So glad to have you here to talk about journalism. Thanks for inviting me. So journalism in in 2019, there's a lot of things that have changed and, and rapidly as well. I mean, I started out my career in journalism, but this was back in the 1990s. But uh, uh, looking at journalism today, while a lot of things have changed, some things remain steadfastly the same. For instance, the audience's apparent appetite for scandalous news etc. So where do you think we should start? What's your view? Where is journalism today, if you, in your, from your point of view? Well, uh, I would say that actually we didn't move a lot. Uh, of course, you have always uh, a passion for innovation in that field where, you know, uh, the last shiny thing is the, the thing that will save journalism or the media industry from dying. Uh, but actually, I think in terms of practice, uh, we are going back to the basics in, a, in some way. When you consider, uh, first thing, uh, you know, when you, when you look at the, the, the journalism environment in the, in the US or in, in, in Europe, you have more and more people talking about, uh, you know, fact-checking, that kind of stuff. Uh, that involves... Uh, some kind of uh, deep investigations where you try to uh, actually uh, dig, dig uh, very deep into the, uh, the the different offers or, or different kind of uh, uh, events uh, that happens. So basically, it's a going back uh, to the investigative uh, process. So that's probably the first move that are actually the newsroom are, uh, are making it that, you know, they are reinvesting that field of investigation. And the second thing is that actually we still try to harness the power of data. Uh, and I think that there is a couple of uh, newspapers that are successfully uh, using data for uh, their own good, uh, but not everyone. And it's really hard to actually understand how to, uh, master this uh, enormous uh, flow of information coming from users, readers, that kind of stuff. Uh, you can use it for investigative journalism. You can uh, use it for uh, the commercial part of journalism where you try to actually reach uh, new subscribers, uh, new uh, uh, potential markets. Uh, so that's two ways to use uh, data. And I, I think it's 
still pretty hard to actually, uh, um, you know, uh, successfully use that. And I would say the third thing was, would be to uh, the economic independence of the newspapers and the journalists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have uh, one part where you have, uh, you know, big media outlets who are independent but are struggling to generate uh, revenues from advertising. It's becoming, uh, uh, you know, even harder and harder to get some good revenue uh, since Facebook and Google uh, uh, entered uh, the dance uh, like a few few years ago. Um, so everyone is shifting from an ad model to a subscription slash membership uh, uh, model. Uh, you just have to uh, watch, for example, whether what is doing the Guardian uh, in that matter. Uh, yeah, true. Very interesting, very ins- inspiring. Uh, but not everyone is uh, capable to do that kind of stuff. And then you also have some kind of you know, all the freelancers that are working uh, for uh, less and less money every year, uh, the, uh, which make them struggle with uh, their own life and, uh, and question actually the, their independence if they want to have like, you know, um, if they want to make a living from journalism, it's becoming harder and harder. So you have this kind of struggle everywhere about money, independence that are, uh, uh, intertwined um, together and it's complicated it is and uh, I'm seeing more and more um, the, where the the borders between being a journalist or a influencer or a social media personality they're becoming less and less clear if you look at the citizen journalists uh, uh, that are quite active today you know basically regular people with an interest in journalism who become who start to put out their own stuff and publish their own stuff the first one i think that really stood out for me was tim pool at the occupy wall street there's been mm-hmm. numerous numerous others of course but uh, that's one thing also where when you're a journalist today one of the things that is important for you is to get your articles and your stories out there through social media, building a brand for yourself suddenly becomes an important and an integral part of your uh, everyday work as a journalist. Yeah, that's, that's, that's important. But I think it's, you know, uh, I'm not so sure about that citizen journalism thing. Uh, I mean, like 10 years ago or something like that, uh, everyone was talking about uh, citizen journalism. In France, mm-hmm. we had the first we had uh, in the U.S. I don't remember exactly the name, but I mean everyone was talking about that, and everyone was uh, uh, betting on that, saying, "Okay, uh, you know, you know what? In five years from now, everyone will send us pictures and uh, sounds and uh, contributions yeah. and everything." And user-generated content, user-generated exactly. content. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and we are still waiting for that. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't true. see that anywhere. I mean, we have some stuff, and the thing is. I think we 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 didn't understand at the time yet that actually it was not a matter of citizen journalism. The, the tool that we use as journalists, uh, investigation, uh, you know, uh, asking two, three, three, four uh, different sources to uh, you know uh, 
cross the references and, and our sisters and everything and check what we are doing. Um, the tools uh, that we use, record some encoder, video camera, that kind of stuff, all that is popularized uh, among everyone. You know, you just have to take your iPhone to just, you know, uh, record a, a great movie or a great documentary or, you know, uh, record mm-hmm. perfect song. And so if you are a bit clever, uh, it's not that hard to produce content that has a journalistic value or an informational uh, uh, value. The thing is, so everyone just took that chance and, you know, uh, everyone is producing in a way that kind of content. The problem is that we didn't recognize that at some point we have to be, as journalists, some kind of beacon uh, in the dark. Uh, well, I guess the Washington mm-hmm. Post did that because <laughs> they made their catchphrase, their, their tagline with that. But, um, you know, we have to do more than just do the reporting and broadcast it on, on, on the social media or whatever. It's more a matter of giving a sense of what we are reading, uh, of what's happening in the world, and helping people uh, in terms of service uh, to make sense of that, to choose the right path, uh, their right path, not our uh, mm-hmm. right path, yeah. uh, and, you know, make choices and that kind of stuff. So yeah. I'm not so sure about citizen journalism. It's more about our own role that we have to challenge in, in, that, in that society. Mm. And more journalists uh, coming up from other places than the traditional uh, schools of journalism, etc. I guess. Of course, of course, that that's super important. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, if uh, I take my own uh, career, I mean, I started uh, when I was 20 as a photographer uh, in South of France, uh, mm. and. Uh, uh, in a poor village, but mostly now I'm, I'm teaching at some school, uh, some social media skills classes, uh, to journalists and mostly they are coming from, uh, high educate, uh, high education background. Uh, mm. uh, they are white, uh, they are uh, super trendy. Uh, they know everything about anything, but, uh, I don't see, uh, you know, uh, mixed uh, colors. I don't see people coming from poor backgrounds. I don't see mm. that, and that's very limiting. The second point you talked about just a little while back about um, also technologies and stuff like that. I mean, technologies, tech, new technologies will be big enablers for journalists. Of course, I read, I read uh, some project about the project uh, where they are creating this AI uh, helper that will help you sift through tens of thousands of pages of documents uh, quickly yeah. to find out correlations and combinations and and how different things uh, fit together within the context of what information is in those documents. So all of this will, of course, help journalists immensely, but it's it could also become a bit of a divider because if you can't use them, if you are, for some reason, not good at technology, you're all of a sudden in the back seat and no longer, it's yeah. more difficult for you to compete with the ones who know more about technology yeah yeah the problem is that actually you know you have to spend a lot of money to actually develop these kind of tools you need to have different kind of professions in your newsroom mm-hmm. to understand these kind of uh, challenges um, 
and, and that's that's kind of a problem because at some point uh, it it creates a divide between uh, uh, those who can't who can uh, afford that kind of stuff and those who can't. I mean, if you think about just the local news. Uh, local newspaper won't be able in the near future to have that kind of newsroom where, I mean, we saw like two weeks ago, uh, the Wall Street Journal recruited uh, uh, product owners, uh, developers. I mean, they, they hired like 10 or 20 people just to, you know, uh, reinforce their newsroom uh, with the tech part. Mm. I mean, uh a local newspaper can do that. I mean, it's really complicated. First, you don't have the resources because uh, you need to find the people who are capable of understanding and doing that kind of work. And, you know, it's not that much available. Uh, they will probably go work um, where the money is and not, not to your local newspaper. Yeah. And then after that, you need to to have the whole infrastructure around it to support that kind of work. Uh, and I mean that not in a technical sense because computers and everything are something that you can buy, but you need a, a culture in the newsroom that is supporting that kind of effort. And it's really, really hard to find that uh, in any newsroom. So in a sense, it's moving back, but just with new uh, competences. Because I remember back in the days, uh, when you were doing television or you were doing newspaper journalism or you were doing radio, you worked with, you were a journalist and you had, perhaps you had a producer with you. You had a sound technician. You had a, you know, you, you were a team that was out working. You know, if you were a newspaper journalist, you wrote some stuff, but you had a photographer with you to take the photos. Yeah. And it's been moving more and more in all the places I worked back then. It moved more and more into one person doing everything. I'm interviewing, I'm editing, I'm taking the photos, I'm putting up the web articles, I'm producing the radio uh, uh, interview, I'm doing everything on my own. But now it's it's becoming almost impossible to know all the stuff that you need to know to be able to be a good investigative journalist. So you need mm. collaboration again. Yeah, I think that that moment where uh, you had like this uh, journalists were doing uh, 1,000 things uh, at the same moment. This was actually driven by more mostly economic pressure than, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone just did said, okay, I want to do that and that and that at the same, you know, the same moment. I did think that actually at some point I, I would do that. Um, and it was super interesting. You, you you learn a great deal of things. Techniques. Of course, yes. But uh, it's not sustainable. You have 24 hours per day, and uh, and if you want to do everything, I mean, you just uh, become crazy. <laughs> so that's that's, that's that's a problem. And, and now collaboration, yeah, because of course you 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 need to have like uh, a data scientist background when you when it comes to analyzing data uh, coming from a spreadsheet that is uh, leaked uh, by some anonymous sources. And if you want to uh, look at precisely the way uh, pictures or video are analyzed, you need some kind of uh, computer uh, degree to know exactly, you know, to use that kind of tool. And a journalist uh, doesn't have that. Uh, I mean, it's not their fault. It's just you, know, you need to, to learn that kind of tool. So uh, that kind of skill. So, yeah, of course, uh, 
collaboration now is key for this kind of stuff. And, and, and that's a good thing also. Yes, absolutely. Different yeah. point of view also. Yeah. Different uh, now, we can't talk about journalism in 2019 without talking a little bit about fake news. But yeah. we could talk about it from this specific angle that I know that you are looking into. And that's the notion mm. of or the, the, the phenomenon of deep fakes has been rising now for the past like couple of years or so. Could, could you just briefly explain what is deep fake for those who doesn't know? Yes, our... Um a deep fake is a mostly for now it's a video it's a video content that is produced by an, an artificial intelligence uh so that appeared uh on the reddit uh, uh forum like two years ago uh, i guess and the guy who invented that uh, was trying to uh merge uh, the face of uh, an actress on the body of another actress, uh, and mainly it was a porn actress, right? Yeah. So basically, they, 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 the guy managed to create an algorithm that are that is looking for a very uh, large number of sources from one actresses, uh, very num- um, a great number of sources from another actress, and from that the algorithm created a new picture, uh, which is fake. Um, Totally invented and, but really convincing. So that's, that's, that's what is a, a deep fake. It's a video that looks l- like it's legit, but it's not. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and that can be used. I mean, I've seen examples where they've taken uh, the voice from one person and put it onto an interview. You know, it's, it's, you can, you can make it appear that a person is saying something even in another language that they are absolutely not saying. And it's, it takes, uh, and that's, that's quite dangerous. I mean, especially today when any kind of news that is seen as scandalous or more polarizing or whatever can spread around the world in a matter of minutes, if it's exciting enough. Yeah. Well, you know what, to me, the deep fake, I call them, uh, uh, weapon of mass deception because mm-hmm. the thing is yeah. <laughs> uh, it has exactly the same kind of role that uh, nuclear weapons have uh, you don't find them uh, at every corner of the street because it's really hard to create uh, for for now uh, I mean you need to have a computer to, to dig a little bit into the, the software how it works and create your own corpus of picture to create the, the old fake I mean it's, it's it's time processing. You need to have a computer that has a solid uh, graphic card and everything. So, you know, uh, but actually the simple notion of that deep fake uh, uh, being able to exist, to be out there without us uh, uh, having the possibility of noticing it is already a threat. Uh, if you think about it, it's like, I don't know if you know that, that small story about, uh, uh, a little boy calling uh, for the wolf and yeah. saying, okay, there is a wolf coming. <laughs> it's exactly the same thing. Everyone is talking about the deep fake. Nobody saw the, uh, a real uh, threatening deep fake yet. Mm, yeah. I'm sure it will happen at some point. But just the fact that we are talking about it makes it even more dangerous. Mm. Because everyone becomes suspicious about it. And and that resonates with all the 
fake news phenomenon that we have since uh, 2016, where everyone is looking at everything, saying, okay, it's true, it's not true. You know, uh, the doubt is rising uh, so much that it's becoming very, very hard to actually distinguish uh, the truth from, uh, uh, from something else. So, yeah, it's, it's a very troubling uh, phenomenon. It feels like skepticism might be the journalist's uh, uh, most uh, important tool in 2019, in a sense. I think you need to question all the documents that you receive. And there is some tools that are not now available to actually detect this kind of fake, uh, deep fake, uh, as you mentioned earlier uh, yeah. in the conversation there is uh very mighty is working on that we have uh, a scientist here in france nearby paris uh who developed also a technique very interesting technique to actually detect uh deep fake so the detection is like a cat and mouse kind of game where you try to 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 catch the mouse and you know uh she's running in front of you and you know, so yeah it's 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 a race and it's a never-ending race to um to catch the the, 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 the author of uh, a deepfake. But I think that actually today, a journalist, uh, and, and it's more, I, I, I know it's philosophical for now, but it's not even philosophical because actually that's what the Guardian is doing. Mm-hmm. You need to reconnect with your audience in some yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. And in a very deep and uh, uh, meaningful way. Uh, not the thing that, you know, well, we are going to open the comment section because, yeah, we, we, we trust that <laughs> it's very interesting. No, yeah. uh, you need to be in the street with the guys. You need to live with them. You need to come from that background uh, that you are covering. You need to talk to them. You know? I mean, it's a very different job that, that most of the journalists are doing from now. Yeah, it's a, it's the notion of the collective journey of you and your audience being on the same journey of discovery together and they can teach you stuff whereas you can tell them stuff that they need to know so it's a it's a working together kind of thing yeah yeah exactly and uh, that that notion of collective journey is, uh, is really interesting uh, um, uh, it's it's coming from the transmedia world i guess but uh, yeah uh, that's uh, that's that's something that is uh, indeed uh, supporting the the narrative effort of a journalist, uh, I, I think. We have to, to think more about that. And, and, and yeah, and we connect. And I think that the vaccine against uh, deepfake is probably there. I mean, it's probably the fact that we will be able to reconnect with our audience in a truthful way that actually will kill the deepfake because nobody mm. will... Uh, you know, fake news to me is like a virus. I mean, if you're in shape and everything is good, uh, you know, you have a good health and everything. I mean, you can catch a bad cold, but it's it's just going to be there. Yeah. It's just going to be a bad cold. But if you are weak and you are diminished and you are, your white cells are, you know, uh, uh, weak also, uh, a bad cold can kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and to me, that's the kind of thing that is happening today. We need to have like a strong media industry with journalists that are listening to, you know, the, the population, and then we'll have no problem, no worries with this kind of uh, 
where, where would you say one would start learning? I mean, if you're a journalism student or even if you're a seasoned pro, I, I teach journalism students from time to time and, and many of them I talk to are, are quite frustrated also as they get into, for instance, their first editorial meetings at the local newspaper and everyone assumes that since these people are in their early 20s, they know all there is to know about, you know, social media, online interactions, deep fakes, whatever. And most of them don't and, and feel quite left out. So where would you uh, where would you say a student or a pro or a you know seasoned journalist where to start? What I see I would push them in the street and say, okay, just I would use some techniques that are uh, that you can find in the UX design environment, for example. Uh, try to listen in a very neutral way. Don't interfere with what is said. When you are questioning people, don't try to question them as a journalist, but as an, as an individual or mark your interest, uh, uh, not necessarily to the opinion, but uh, to how these people are forming their their ideas. And uh, so your material, your base basic material will be different uh, when you go back to the newsroom. Mm. Uh, and once you're here, you can you know, play with all the tools that are available. And, uh, but I think that's some kind of renewed curiosity that we have to, to learn again. Yeah. You know, um, it's, I, I know it's counterintuitive because I, I, at some point uh, we might hope that actually it's technological solution will rise and you know uh and uh, our misery but actually i think it's deep inside us and we just have to uh, go back to, to the roots yeah no uh, i i would tend to agree because technology can only help you so far if you don't have the right uh, mindset and you don't have the right angle to approach people and engage with them and validate their interaction and take them with you on the journey, then the technology will only help you make the same stuff that's been made already, in a sense. Yeah. And, and, and you know, when when I see a uh, uh, seasoned professional who are in the job like since like 20 years, uh, they are coming from another dimension. I mean, you know, yeah. it was a time uh, where you had uh, uh, a full-time employment, the salary was good, uh, nobody was complaining about uh, advertising going to Facebook or Google because, you know, it didn't even exist. And, uh, and, and so they developed, it's not their fault, but they developed like professional habits that are uh, in their veins. And they need to learn actually what is happening today and how to, you know, change this culture that is uh, coming from like 20 years ago. It's not that it, it was good for the, for this period of time, but now it's not adapted. Uh, and the young guys are looking to them like they are, you know, references and everything. But I think they are not, they are not really references. They are mostly people who, don't know exactly what to do with the situation that we have. Uh, yeah. You know. So, yeah, we have to invent that to, together. So one final question, I'm trying not to run over time here, but uh, one final question for this session. What do you think the future is going to be like then? Are there going to be journalists in the future? 
Well, that's a, that's also a good question. I think there there is a need at some point for journalists uh, and journalism. I don't see the need for uh, maybe sixty percent of the media that we already have, like mm-hmm. the brand that we know. Uh, you know, I mean, when you think about uh, local media, I don't see them existing in that form uh, in ten years because. I mean, things are changing really rapidly. Mm. Maybe you will find some groups that will be able to survive and, and uh, find a way to, you know, uh, gain their money uh, uh, on, in a different way. But uh, and you know, at the end, you will have like uh, in France, you're going to have Le Monde, Le Figaro. Uh, I'm not even sure about Liberation. I hope so, but. Um, you know, uh, so a couple of newspapers like this in the U.S. You can have like uh, uh, the the Washington Post, the New York Times, and uh, probably another one like the Wall Street Journal. But it's not going to be like that much. In the contrary, you're going to have like thousands of small entities that will be more or less serious um, about their journalism, and that's going to be the challenge to you know how to find uh, what is real, uh, uh, you know, the real information that you need uh, yeah. uh, to actually exist, make the good choices. And, uh, you know, uh, in terms of environmental crisis, if you think about that, uh, we're going to need some kind of newspaper with uh, a leader on that on, on that part uh, of news. And I don't see that for now. No, I was just going to say it's going to be extremely interesting to see how this all plays out. Are we just going to have a million YouTubers, each with a slightly different angle on the world, mm-hmm. and they're going to be the ones who are uh, interpreting what's happening to their uh, million viewers? Or are we going to have the... Uh, is everything going to be swallowed up by Google in the end, or you know, whatever? You know what? I, I was watching a video last time, uh, like two days, three days ago, about uh, a French writer, uh, Romain Gary, mm-hmm. and and this guy was saying actually he was uh, he, he died in the in the eighties, and the video was made probably in the sixties, end of the sixties, beginning of the seventies, and. Basically, the guy was predicting what is happening right now. Uh, the the end of monopolistic um, kind of media, the uh, disintermediation, uh, the the tribal, uh, the rise of tribes everywhere, uh, the rise of internet, that kind of stuff. It, it was in all is in own words, but he was able to predict that. And I think that somewhere you have a guy like this. Uh, who is already able to to see foresee this kind of future, and probably what he will see is something that is quite surprising and you know uh, something that we can't expect really. So yeah, I'm sure I'm pretty sure that if we try to predict uh, the future, we will be wrong at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to, I think I agree fully with you on that yeah. one. Gerald, thanks you so much for joining me for this podcast, and I look forward to talking to you again in the future. For sure. Thanks for inviting me.